Colossians, not collisions, uh, verse 15 to 20. He is Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul is in prison, and uh, he's addressing an issue. See, a lot of times when we preach this stuff, it's like preaching to the choir. You say, oh, I already know this stuff. And uh, I'm not writing to a bunch of pagans that just got saved and are being swamped by the different religions that are, are influencing them. This church was under the influence of something known as the Colossian heresy. Uh, if you look at chapter 2, they were worshipers of angels. Uh, they were into asceticism. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Uh, they were in the philosophies of men. Let me tell you a little bit about what the Colossian heresies, made up of a lot of uh, Jewish mysteries, a lot of uh, pagan Gnosticism, which was claiming superior knowledge. It went this way. Uh, God, uh, in order to come in contact with the earth and human beings, created a whole hierarchy of lesser beings going from God. And so you're going down this uh, hierarchical ladder, and even you see this word thrones, dominions. This is believed to be different rankings of angels. And sometimes it was called eons. And uh, in this, they had what they called seven demurges, D-E-M-I-U-R-G-E-S. And finally, they got to one of these beings low enough, far enough from God, that he could come in contact with matter, come in contact with a physical person. Because a pure God being could never be contaminated by touching the earth or touching a human being. So he had this whole hierarchy, hierarchy of lesser beings, down, down, down. A part of it in this system was dualism, Darth Vader, and the battle between good and evil. And dualism said good and evil have always existed, and they've always fought with each other, and here we go back and forth. So you bring that dualism all the way back Good and evil existed. Go back. Pure God could never come in contact with matter. Pure God could never touch a human body because a part of this philosophy was the body is evil. 
And that's why they developed all these aesthetic rules. Don't touch. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because, you know, the body's a dirty, uh, bad instrument. And much of this came over in Catholicism that taught sexuality was dirty. And that's much of where that came from. came all the way back from the Gnostics. If matter's dirty, if the body's dirty, anything I do with the body is dirty. So even sexuality, which most sexuality in many ways is used with vulgarity, but it was never evil in the mind of God because matter is not evil. You haven't heard it yet, but that's okay. I'm set laying the groundwork. This is what was going on. And this was influenced. So you come along and you say in your theology, we've got someone on earth who says he's God and he's in a body. This just can't be. This can't be. So Paul is writing to these believers and he begins to unfold this majestic view of Christ to answer the question, who came to Bethlehem? We could go to Isaiah 7. The virgin shall bear a child. Isaiah 9, wonderful, mighty counselor. We go to Isaiah 53. I mean, it's all over the Bible, but I'm taking Colossians. Verse 15, three things we want to look at. Number one, Christ is the preeminent expression of the invisible God. He is the visible expression. Now, we looked at that in John. Do you remember in John 14 that Philip and Thomas said, show us the Father. We like to see God, Jesus. We want to see God. And Jesus looks at them astounded. Wait, I've been giving the words of God. I've been doing the works of God. I claim that before Abraham was, I am in John 8. I, this book of John opened with, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt or tented out among you. Uh, what is it about you guys? You're looking at God. If you've seen me, Philip, you've seen God. I give the visible expression of him you can never see. I am his representative. And he uses a word here. He's in the image of God. It's the word icon, icon. We get our word image from it. And uh, they commonly in the Roman coin... They put the emperor's face, okay? Now, imagine with me, if you could, uh, uh, 50 A.D., Nero was on the throne at that time. Imagine making a coin with an ugly-looking Nero. Or you distorted the image. You put a wart on his nose, because we've got to sell coins. Uh, this boy, uh, his wife better be looking for another husband. She's dead. It better be the exact representation of the face of the emperor. This is the word used here. Jesus Christ gives the exact representation of who and what God is, the invisible God. And this is what he's saying. I give that expression. God has spoken to the race in many ways. He used prophets. He used dreams. He used visions. He gave the books of the Old Testament. He had prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son. And so, this son is in the exact 
image and representation. You have no less God with Jesus than if all three members were in the room. They're not all the same person. They had another error in church history called modalism. Modalism, which said there's only three modes of God, but there's not three persons. And so they said this, in the Old Testament, God wore the mask of a father. So in the Old Testament, our God is a father. Uh, in the New Testament, he changed masks. He put on the mode of a son. Now he's gone, he's put on another mask, and now he's the Holy Spirit. Only one person, but three different roles. Not so. Three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been through there all the way. But here's something. Here's a favorite of people. The God of the Old Testament is dastardly evil. He says, kill babies. He brings a universal flood. He kills all the children in Egypt. I wouldn't want to know that God if I could. God says, I'll send you my representative. And Jesus will give you the full expression of what's really in my heart and who I am. I am a God of wrath. I'm angry every day in the Psalms. God gets angry every day. So if you blow your cool once in a while, it's okay. The only thing is, his is righteous anger. Quit kicking that cat. God is angry every day. He's not passive towards sin. But here Christ comes, and Christ never killed any babies. He was one of the babies that was on the chopping block to be killed by Herod. He was killed by men. And God is saying, you see what men would do with me? If I came and walked among them, they'll do to me what they did to my son. For what you do to Jesus, you've done to God. He is the exact image of God. Then he goes on to say he is preeminent uh, in every way, and he does something that the cults just love, and you want to memorize this. It says Christ is the firstborn. I knew it. I knew it. Christ was created. Just what Arius said in the third, in the 300s, fourth century. Arius said there was a time when Jesus did not exist. He was not God. At a point in time, God created him. Now, this fits right in with the Colossian heresy. Jesus, if he walked in a body, he couldn't be pure God because pure God can't inhabit a body. Pure God can't touch the earth. That would contaminate him. But it calls him the firstborn. So obviously, Christ is the first thing God created, right? Well, he says firstborn, folks. What is, who's the firstborn in your family? Deborah's my firstborn. So there you go. Jesus is the first thing God created in this ladder coming down. That's what the Colossians would say. It's what the, it's what the cults say. It's what Jehovah's Witnesses say. It's what all the other cults would say. Christ had a beginning. He is not, he's a nice teacher, maybe a nice man, but he's not all the way back. Why firstborn? 130 times it is used in the Old Testament. Dr. Peter O'Brien, I'm quoting, leading Greek scholar. 130 times in the Old Testament the term firstborn is used of things that are not first in an order. 
That's only one usage of it. Um, I thought you would question this, so I did some work. Uh, Arkin Gingrich, the word protos, prototokos, this word. It means the first in several ways. It can be first in time, first one there, the earliest one. It can be first in a number of sequence, like people would say, he must have been created. But over 130 times, it's used a first in rank. First in rank. That means prominent position, preeminent. The disciples sought to be first among their friends. Do you remember the disciples always competing? Who would be first? Not in time, not chronologically. Who would be preeminent? And when it uses this of Christ, it's saying he is in the place of preeminence in relation and compared to all creation. Well, how is that? Because he is the creator and not the created. He is the firstborn. I'll give you some examples. Who was Abraham's firstborn son? Ishmael. What does Hebrews 11 call him? Was it Ishmael in Hebrews 11 that he calls his firstborn? Who? Wait, God's mixed up. No, no, he's not talking about chronological birth. He's talking about the one who gets the family name, the family position, the heirship, the double inheritance, the family name, the place of privilege and preeminence will go to Isaac, not Ishmael. Ishmael fled to the east, and God made a mighty nation, the Arab nations out of him. But this boy Isaac is my firstborn, not chronologically, by privilege. Here's another one. Israel, my firstborn, Exodus 4. Israel is my firstborn. Let me ask you this. Was Israel the firstborn? Is that the first nation God ever made? Where was Abraham? He's living down there among the Chaldeans in Ur, Genesis 12. There were many nations. He's going to start another nation through Abraham. Israel comes. You're my firstborn. God has never said that about another nation, including America. If you don't like Jews, get over it. God does. That's right. They're his choice. Didn't have to have us Gentiles vote on it. They're my firstborn. I'm going to bring the scriptures through them. I'm going to bring Messiah through them. I'm going to build, bring a messianic king to them. I'm going to reign over the earth out of Mount Zion. Not up there. There's a place called Mount Zion. It's Mount Moriah right now. It's right in Israel. It's where the Dome of the Rock is. He's going to reign from there. Israel, you're my firstborn. Now my firstborn son, the one of highest preeminence and privilege, is my son who gives visible expression of God. And watch what is done through this firstborn privileged son. Watch this in relation to creation. For by him, it's really in the sphere of him, all things, emerged out of an amoebic pond. All things 
exploded in a big bang. And it just fell into order. And that's why some of you look rather strange because it looks like an explosion happened. I can't look at you. I'm trying to just be serious. Uh, all things were evolving. What does it say? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. You know what? You sit in one of two chairs, Francis Schaeffer said. You sit either in the chair of naturalism or the chair of supernaturalism. And in the chair of naturalism, the only thing that matters is what you can touch, feel, taste, or see. That's the naturalistic chair. But you come over here, and you get in this chair, and it's the chair of supernaturalism. And one day, oh, Elijah, he's down there at Dothan and uh, reading the Dothan paper. And he sends his messenger out to get the paper. And when he comes back, he says, whoa, whoa, master, come out here. The hills are lined with the armies of the enemy. Elijah walks out. See, this boy, his servant was sitting in this chair. All he can see is what the visible eye sees. Elisha comes out here. He takes a seat. He sees the mountains filled with the armies of God. They're everywhere. Woo! I mean, they're everywhere. And, and he gets a servant. He said, Lord, he, he, this is before glasses. He said, said, Lord, open his eyes. What do you mean open his eyes? Wasn't he right? Yeah, he was right. See, he's like some of you. All you ever see are waves. You never see the master. You always see problems. You never see solutions. You always see the obstacle. You never see the opportunity. See, your outlook determines your outcome. But your outlook, if you can't see God, you're not walking by faith. Anybody can see the waves. Just the natural man. He prays for that man. And do you know what, like in this room, I wonder how many thousands of spirit beings could be in this room. What's scary, you take, there's a man in the Bible, they called him Legion. I believe Legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. He had 6,000 demonic beings, and every demon is a personality. Every demon is a fallen angel, intellect, will, emotion. He had, you talk about a split personality, he had 6,000 splits in one body, spatially. 6,000 individual beings were able to occupy the same space as one body. Imagine, no wonder they had him chained, dwelling among the caves. And he was naked, and he cut himself constantly because when these demons got in a fight with one another, for prominence, his body paid the price. They racked him, tore him. It's a wonder he was alive. So he's saying, you Colossians, you've got all these angels ranked by thrones, dominions, and you get to uh, Ephesians, principalities, powers, uh, this. You've got all this invisible world. You've got it ranked, ranked, ranked. And he says, let me tell you about this firstborn creator, son, he created everything, thrones, dominions.
dominions, rulers, authorities, everything ever been created was created through him and for him. And he is, anybody got your Bible? I can't hear you. He is what? Before, and, and Colossus said, that can't be. He, he's, he lives down here in Nazareth. We know his mama. He's physical. He can. He says, he's before all things. You mean he's eternal? Yeah. And in him, all things hold together. Let me tell you about this word, hold together. It's literally a Greek word that means uh, to cohere. Uh, you could translate it uh, cohesion. Uh, everything has cohesion in Christ. Everything. To place together. Lightfoot says, hold together, cohere. Years ago, uh, I was working on a master's program that took me to Denver, Colorado, and I wrapped up a, uh, a degree there. And one of my uh, profs, his name was Stan, uh, he had worked in uh, the space program and loved science and uh, was a delightful brother and was also a pilot. One day he said, would you like to go up and let me show you some things about the Rocky Mountains? And, uh, okay, we went up. And, you know, Rocky Mountains, uh, I forget what the altitude, but has anyone ever gone over that continental divide out of Estes Park? You know, it's majestic. Uh, I wanna, is it 10,000 feet? I don't know. I believe it's higher than uh, the Tahoe Range of Sierra. It's way up there. And while we're flying up there, he, he's taking his long. All of a sudden, he said, you see that line right there? I said, yeah. I said, what's that? He said, it's a water line. I said, it's a water line. Must have been a local flood around here. <laughs> 10,000 feet, you know. But we have these local floods all the time. And, and, and he said, we go up there. And he said, guess what we find? I said, what? He said, seashells, fish. I said, you can't, you mean that fish crawled all the way, 10,000 feet? No, dummy. The earth was flooded one time. And when God upset all the earth, because you see, before the flood, there were no mountains. There were no desert. God didn't create mountains and desert in the Garden of Eden. Everything's flat. All the earth used to be one mass. It got split up after the flood. You look. You can read it, Genesis 10. In the days of Peleg, the earth divided. Yeah. You won't get this in uh, Science 101. You get this in Bible 101. The Word of God's above science. We don't uh, disagree with science if it agrees with God. Okay? You're getting all this free, by the way, you know. Because I want to say it about this creator. And he, he's up there, and, and while he's flying, he's showing me all this stuff. He's fascinating. And then he said, you know, he got to talking about the space program and whatever part he had in it. And then he got to telling me, he said, you know, when we talk about the splitting of the atom and everything, he said, this is no small thing. And he starts talking. 
He said, you see, there's something we call the binding force of atoms. That there's something that binds them together so you can't split them easily. And we got to get all these machines, electrons. I mean, it, it took us a few centuries to learn how to split an atom. Because he said, we found out in creation what we can't understand. There is a cohesive force in all of creation that we call a binding force. And he said, I never knew what it was until I read Colossians. And Jesus said, I make it all hold together. I not only created the universe, I'm sustaining it. I make the sun, the moon, the star stay right on orbit. It's never had an oil change yet. It stays right on. If it came too close, we'd burn up. If it was too far away, we would freeze. I keep the tides going. I keep the boundaries of the ocean. I sustain everything that goes on. I'm in charge of rain, drought, snow, a global warming. I am the sustainer. That's what he says. Go tell this to the heretics. Our God that lived in a body sustains the universe. I wonder if he could take care of you. All 150 pounds. That's what he says. He's preeminent because he's over all creation. Now he moves. That he says, but because creation has rebelled, and according to Romans, it's in grief and it's groaning because it's been messed up by sin. Christ has begun a new creation, and he calls it the church. And in this new creation, you get out of Adam, he pulls you out of the world system, and he puts you in this new entity uh, that, as for the most part, is invisible. Local churches are the visible expression of the invisible church. We're the visible part. Some of you attend church, and I say, well, which one, the invisible one or the visible? This is the visible expression. Now watch what he says. And he is the head of the body, the church. Anybody here belong to the church? I mean, the church. Anybody? None of you? Oh, got, we got five. Most of you aren't saved yet. You know, you got a lot of folks, well, I'm not into joining churches. I know you're going to hell. Every Christian is in the church. You might not be in this church, because if you're not in that church, I hope you don't join this one. Have coffee, but don't get in the membership. You need to be born again. Because when you're born again, the Spirit places you into the body of Christ. Christ is the head of that body. Now, watch what it says. And he's the firstborn from the dead. Isn't that interesting? I thought he raised Lazarus. Why didn't he say Lazarus was the firstborn? Lazarus died again. I'm the firstborn of those that when they're raised will never die again. I'm the first fruit of the resurrection. And when you get resurrected in this program, these others were raised, but they died. Even the man in the Old Testament, Elijah, breathed on him and he came back. 
You know, I used to ask, what happened? Well, they eventually buried them. They did die. But Christ is the firstborn of the resurrection. And in this category, once you've been resurrected, you never die again. So he's the one that came into this order that death had dominated the fallen world, dominated the plant world, took over the race of Adam, burying baby after baby after baby, army after army. The human race is dying. We're living in the land of the dying. Get to be my age, and you'll bury so a lot of friends, a lot of loved ones. And if I, I don't go a week, but what I don't hear is someone just came down with cancer. Because I'm in contact with a 1,000 people in this church. Sickness is alive and well. Cancer is doing big business. And we're burying people no matter how many vitamins you grew up on. Christ came into this arena that death had upset Eden and destroyed what he had originally created. And the first thing he had to take care of is he said, I'm going to take care of sin at the cross, but on the way I'm going to defeat death because in my crossword I conquered the graveyard too. I'm the firstborn, I want you to know, of those that died. That's not too bad if you're having some birthdays because we're going to bury you, honey. Yeah, we are. You're going to die. You're dying right now. You see, you're living in the land of the dying. You're going to the land of the living. I'm in the land of the dying, but I'm going where I shall never die. There's an old song my daddy used to sing, never grow old, never grow old. I'm going to a land where I will never grow old. And you've got to be a little bit old to even know the song, so I'll keep going. Uh, and he is the head of the body, the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And I'm telling you, the Colossian heretics broke out with hives when he said that. He said, you, do you know what he just said? He said the pleroma, oh, that was a magic word with these heretics. Pleroma meant the fullness of the deity, the fullness of this ultimate God. And all of a sudden, Paul from prison says, by the way, he's no spinoff. He's no lesser deity. Everything that is divine about God occupied his body. Lived. In him, every attribute was in him. Every bit of the essence was in him. The divine nature's in him. No less God, no matter if he's in a body or not, because he's not evil in that body. All of deity dwells in him in a bodily form. That's what he says. That's what he says. And he goes on to say, as he goes through his argument, so all of deity, and he robs their word play, the fullness the, the cup is full. You can't get any more God in a body than what was in Jesus. He had all the God there is. There's no more. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. See, there's a lot of beings in the heavens that need to be reconciled. They're demonic. Demons out there. The heavens are dirty. According to the Word of God, he burns up the heavens. You know why? They're dirty. 
And this side, they've been the place where demons have trafficked for all these years. Satan's still in the air. Demons are up there doing their work all over the planet. And he says, ultimately, in second, I'm going to burn up the heavens. I'm going to cleanse the heavens. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no ground for demonic spirits for I'm going to incarcerate them in the lake of fire forever. The heavens will be clean again. He's going to clean up the universe from the fall. If I wasn't trying to save my voice, I'd shout. Making peace by the blood of his cross. He came to a world in rebellion that would cost him his life to make things right. The family feud was so bad that he said, somebody in this family's got to die. And the creator God chose to die to make the peace. I say this, in this new creation, as Adam was the head of the old creation, and we all sinned in Adam, we all died in Adam, Christ is the head of this new creation, the church. And uh, I think you, you need, what's your view of the head? What's your view of the head? See, there's a lot of folks, uh, can a church stay together when there's an opinion on every pew? I would do it this way. I'd do it that Okay? I mean, look at the people around you. I mean, you're struggling to get along with who you marry. Now, some of you get so old, you're just giving up, so now you're finally compatible. You just can't fight anymore. You say, man, we might as well enjoy it. Good, good. You both like to eat out. So, you know, we got a lot in common. I mean, and then you get a church of a bunch of people in a fellowship. How many different opinions do you think we have around here about how to spend money? How many of you think you're experts? Others don't even know how to make a budget. You haven't balanced your checkbook so long, you don't know what you have in the account. It's true. And then you say, you mean we can be together? How is that possible? He makes things cohere. He's the binding force. And there's nothing anymore, um, I think, one of the most heartbreaking things to see. Uh, I used to visit a woman in this church, Frances. She was in a home over here, Frances Sylvester. But she didn't even know who her children were. And I knew Frances for 35 years before she died. And to go in there, hug her. I met her in 71 or 2. Wonderful. I loved her. Spunky. Just a dynamic little gal to me. Precious. But she didn't know who I was. <laughs> she didn't know who I was. Or to get someone in their early 50s with Alzheimer's. Or uh, get your mom and dad suffering from dementia. And you say, hi, mom. And they call you some name that's not even yours. See, the head's going apart. Neurotic problems. Aging. A, a brain disorder. Well, let me tell you, Colossians. 
Our head is never going to have Alzheimer's. Our head is never going to have dementia. Our head isn't going to fall apart. There's only one head of the church I belong to, and it's not you and it's not me. It's him. It's Jesus. He is the head. He is preeminent. He is preeminent. And I don't know how to say this and sound nice, because it doesn't sound nice. I'm not serving you. I'm serving him. I believe in the church because I believe in him. He's building the church. He's not building your company. You may include him until there's profit. You may not. That's all right. Have all the company you want. We all got to make a living doing something. He claims the church, the most hated entity on the face of the earth. Everybody knows how to fix the church. I have to say this to you. There's only one brain that runs the church, the true church. He's seated in the heavens. And he went by way of the cross and an empty tomb. Are we holding him as preeminent? I ask you, is Christ preeminent in your life? Or is he second place, your hobbies, you're this, you're that, you're, what, what's all this? He's head of the church, and he didn't get to be head by being a Twinkie. He became head by conquering death. He became head by going to the cross. He became head by conquering the grave. He didn't get it just free. He's preeminent by the right of acquisition. And we are the members of his body. I tell you, it's a terrible thing to tell my finger what to do, and it doesn't listen to the head. That finger can be burnt. You know what happens to lepers? This is what happens to people in the body of Christ. Hansen's disease starts at extremities, and we think that it, it uh, makes you do all that. You know, you're looking for the white and pus and uh, bone. What, what happens? I, I read Dr. Paul Brand. I read an article, and he spent his life working with lepers. He said, what happens in Hansen's disease is sensitivity on the extremes of the body, toes, fingers, maybe even ears. You lose feeling because of circulation. Then they start putting their hands in fires. They start putting their hands under boiling water because they can't feel it. And sometimes in India, it's kind of a, a shell. But the body still burns. The body still becomes infected. And so the disease begins. The disease. I sometimes see people, I say, do you have spiritual leprosy? Have you lost sensitivity to the head? Is he using you? Are you bitter? Are you whole? Are you doing what the head wants you to do? That's all that matters. I'm doing everything Jesus wants me to do. That's all you've got to answer. He's the head. He, he's the CEO of the church. You like that? Let's get it business. That makes it legitimate. No, he's the firstborn. He's preeminent over everything. This is who was born at Bethlehem. Not some fantasy riding in the heavens. I'm going to want to recommend you to psychiatry if you hear reindeer on your roof this season, <laughs> we're going to recommend that you get help quick 
But haven't we been told and we're sold more fiction than truth because the true story is the babe at Bethlehem was God. And we find that astounding, but we think nothing of elves and Santa and the North Pole and all these mists and uh, Frosty the Snow. What in the world? All this is fictitious. And we say, it, I wouldn't want to strip my child of this. It would rob them of their childhood. No, raise them on all these lies. It just reshaped them. How about telling them the truth? Just tell them the truth. By the way, the one at Bethlehem was called the truth. The way. I'm just beating it to death. But see, if you were Colossian, all this would be heresy to you. You say, I don't know if I believe this or not. Paul said, you can put me in jail. You can chain me and keep me from visiting the Lycus Valley and the city of Colossae. But I'm telling you, this is who was born in Bethlehem. This is what we celebrate, the preeminent coming of Christ. Father, I thank you. I'm not worshiping a fat man in a red suit. I'm glad I bowed to him who is Lord over creation. Nothing had a beginning without him. That includes me, Lord. I am so glad. My mother wondered, what am I going to do with the seventh child? But you knew what to do with me. You saved me. You're my creator. You're my creator. And so I praise you. You've become my savior. You're my Lord. I want to do what you say. Oh, head of the church, don't let me not cooperate with you. We love you. Let us come back tonight. Let us bring someone that maybe uh, has never heard this marvelous story. And uh, let us reach out to poor, desperate sinners. If you could reach all the way from the third heaven down to a barnyard, surely we could reach a neighbor or reach somebody that needs this message. We pray, help us to get it out. In Jesus' name, and everybody that says he's firstborn says, Amen. Run out. Get out of here.